All around us are people who've struggled and succeeded. Now they're changing their lives and the world around them in their own unique ways. Fox Coaching and First Story Strategies bring you these stories and more from the people who make things happen. This is Success Insight. Welcome to the Success Insights Podcast. I'm Randy Ford. Uh, with me today is Deb Terry, leadership coach, facilitator, skillblenders.com. What is Skillblenders? Skillblenders, we're an organization that, that focuses all about people and organizational development. It's about coaching, emerging leaders to be more effective in their organizations. It's about working with teams to help them be as effective as they can be to, frankly, kick butt and get the results accomplished, and then also develop emerging leaders. How long have you been doing this? Oh, wow. On my own and independent, uh, 17 years, actually last month, February. Oh, wow. Prior to that, I was in a major corporation doing some similar work as well. What made you want to make that transition? Well, it's a, again, a duality. One, I was at a point where I was traveling a lot around the world and uh, my son was 11 or 12 years old and the people at the front desk of the hotel over in uh, Varese, Italy, knew him on a first name basis. And I said, okay, I got to kind of align my priorities right. He was the only, he's our only son and uh, decided to do that. Plus I wanted to do something I was really passionate about, which is working with, with people, basically emerging talent, and then also just doing a lot of team development and, and, and uh, leadership development. I'm curious about those moments when you recognize that that passion is kind of coming to fruition. So can, can you think of a time without giving anybody's name or anything away, but can you think about a time recently when you've been like, oh, you know what, this is why I work so hard to do this? Yeah, it actually happened fairly recently. Um, about a month and a half ago, um, I was called in by a, somebody I coached about 10 years ago. She was, it was early in her career. Uh, she was a financial analyst and uh, I was Again, coaching her as an emerging diverse leader. She called me in to do a disc workshop. She had a team building session she wanted to hold with her group over actually over in Chicago. And it was, first of all, it was great to reconnect with her. Second, it was great to see how well she had done in her career. You know, it was about nine, 10 years ago I first worked with her. And then what was really great is when she, uh, is, I feel like I'm bragging a little bit, but when she um, introduced me, it's like, wait a minute, hold this. I want to record this because she had talked about how so much she had. In, in our coaching session, she had used so much about better understanding herself, understanding others, leveraging her leadership brand and the organization she's worked with. And now she was a tre- she's a treasure at a, a major organization. First of all, the personal connection, because we've been talking over the years, we had done several things over the years, but also just for her to say that in front of her group, I was like, yes, that's what it's about. It's about developing people and seeing them impact other people. Yeah, that's great. And then you you do a lot of teamwork as well, a lot of team facilitation, right? Correct. How does that work? What what do you come in and help a team work with? Well, there, there's several different approaches. Some say, hey, we just want to go from good to great. Uh, matter of fact, I'm working with a group again in a group that's based here in Michigan, but they're meeting over in Chicago. But probably my favorite example was last year I was called into a, a global team. Their employee engagement scores were were low. The leader was pretty much on the hook to do something different. And initially the conversation started, hey, you know, you do this disc stuff, tell me about that. But the more we started talking, more it's like, you know, you said you need to step back a little bit and really look at your organization. And I said, how would your organization, especially your leaders, there's gonna be 40 people at this meeting, describe the culture of the team, how they get things done, how they work. And I said, he goes, well, I don't think it would be that good. He was a, he's a Brazilian gentleman. 
the more we talked, he said, you know what, you need to come and do the whole two days. And so what we did is we put together an approach where we worked with the group, helped them identify their ideal, basically do some visioning, their ideal work culture. What would it look like? What would people be saying? What would they be doing differently as leaders? What would they stop doing, continue doing, start doing? What would their employees say about their their employee experience in the organization? How would they be functioning, not just in the U.S., not just in Brazil, not just in China, but how would they be functioning with these global teams when they're all working better? To to drive this conversation, we use the um, five behaviors of a cohesive team model by Patrick Lencioni to help drive it. So we start talking about, okay, trust, what does it look like for us? If we're going to get to this vision that we came up with, you know, what does trust look like? Not just you know, with the leadership team here, but with our teams that we have reporting to us. What did, how do we manage conflict? And then you have all these factors that, you know, cross-culturally come to play too. So, you know, an Indian might say, well, hey, this is what's important to me about culture. Brazilian might say this. So we had some great conversations. Again, then we looked at each of the dimensions of commitment. How do you drive that? How do you hold each other accountable? How do you drive those results? From there, we came up with a team charter so, okay, this is what you are going to hold each other accountable for. So as you're sitting in teleconference in your home bases, this is behaviors that works for this organization. Because if we're going to get to this cultural definition, this cultural mecca that you want to have, so people want to work in this this team within this organization. Because frankly, this organization had a reputation where, gosh, you don't want to work in this organization. It's not fun. You know, so my challenge to them, what does that look like? Again, over the past eight months, I've had regular updates with the group. And what was really great, again, about two months ago, I happened to be in their facility and on the TV monitor, they had the pyramid that had the five behaviors of a cohesive team. They had their their team charter popping up on the screen. They had their cultural vision, what they were trying to achieve. And all this was all over the that particular building and campus here at their, their main headquarters. But the other part that was probably the best, I was talking to my contacts there, as well as the HR people. I said, okay, what happened with the employee engagement score? And they said it went up four points. And again, you might say four points, but you're talking 300 people all around the world. And I asked the person, I said, okay, how did this help? She said, oh my gosh, it helped tremendously because Frankly, it was a global group of engineers. We had the engineers thinking and talking differently to better engage their people. Part of was launching this process and walking through the process with them, but also the individuals and the leadership taking ownership and accountability to help drive these people changes. You can tell I'm pumped up about it. It's just exciting because you see, boy, things are different and it's not just how they work, but hopefully impacts their, their lives as well. You called it a, a cultural mecca. And I know it's different based on country. I'm sure it's different based on industry and organization size. But across all of those things, what are the common factors that you think make for a cultural mecca? Specifically, somebody goes home Friday at five. What did their week look like once they had been able to achieve that cultural mecca? What were the things that made that happen? I think, number one, they felt valued and listen to, because those are things that are standard cross-culturally. Again, it might look a little bit differently based in the United States, or I, I go back to India, China, or Brazil, or Italy, but they felt listened to, they felt valued, they felt like they were part of the process, because anytime you have a global organization, and I've done a lot of work in this space, what happens is the home base becomes almost like the, the victors, and even though you might have a strong presence in another location, where no matter where it is in the world, there's always this this okay, we're the little guys because we're located away from corporate headquarters. It becomes really important that there be this communication, this common identity, this common touch points that bring them together. And that transcends the way if I'm, for example, if I'm in China, you know, I might look differently because leadership is different. Engagement looks different. The way you facilitate something's different. 
but you have this commonality that brings people together as, as a touchstone. Plus, there's the organization has a high level of values, and the values become an enabler as well. And that's a whole other topic because, again, cultures view the values differently. Anyway, that's that's a topic for another podcast. <laughs> Anytime I'm, I'm talking with somebody who is in this kind of leadership space and is having these successes, helping people be successful, I'm always curious what their professional path has been. What, what was your first job ever? First job ever. Well, I was one of those kids like that was always looking for a, a hustle to make some money. I mean, you know, way back when as a kid, my pe- first paying job where I got a paycheck was in the Chicagoland area, and it's a minuscule amount of what it used to be. There was an ice cream parlor in Oak Park, Illinois, which is where I grew up, called Peterson's Ice Cream. And it was its roots were as a tea room, and then it involved an ice cream and everything. But it was the place to go um, after things in the community. For me, it was I waited tables, bust, hostess, made food there, and everything. And for me, and how some people might say that uh, they're surprised, but I was really pretty shy. And what this enabled me to do is is waiting tables as I, I met a lot of different people, a lot of great people. Matter of fact, we had a lot of uh, people who were announcers with the Chicago TV stations that live in the communities there and they'd stop by. And Paul Harvey, I don't know if you guys remember Paul Harvey, sure. now for the rest of the story, was a regular customer. And and just having conversations with people like that, I just, it, it really helped me to work better with people, understand people, understand the needs that works and just, you know, understand what happens where prior to that, I was, again, somewhat of a shy kid. And those memories are, are good. And, and it really helped, helped kind of set a foundation for me. Yeah, it's remarkable that you do still remember so much of that. I know it wasn't that long ago uh, when you were a kid. Doing that, but <laughs> but that, that has been able to stick with you. Have you ever had a, uh, just an awful job? Oh, gosh. I've been really lucky. I haven't had an awful job, but I worked for somebody that I would not, I would not say we were, could ever have been best friends, but I, I learned a lot. He was not one of my favorite people and I was not alone. He had a bit of an ego and anyway, he, he was not fun to work for. There were some things he'd set up a meeting at six o'clock in the morning and then you'd show up and he wouldn't be there, but that's a whole nother story. But what, what I did learn from him, because I like to focus on the positive because yeah. in spite of that, there was some positivity. The organization I worked for at the time was going through a lot of significant organizational change and it was frankly chaotic. And what I did learn from him is how to keep focus because in spite of the fact that, again, we'd never be best friends, he would keep us focused. Okay, why are we doing this reorg? What's happening? What's our role? And so as we were focusing our planning and our meetings with this, he would keep us on target, on track. And during that time, he provided stability in Iraq, not only for the team that I worked on in human resources, but I think for the people that we serve, you know, we serviced within the organization during this really significant change. Um, so again, even though it was not a, an easy time to work, I, in hindsight, I learned a lot from this gentleman. I wonder if you see that that same exact kind of manager in the organizations you work with now. That's a great question. I see a range of of managers. You know, luckily, I haven't seen a whole lot of managers where people say, oh my gosh, he's absolutely horrible. It does happen once in a while because sometimes people just aren't good listeners. I do see some really good managers where they, they help the organization, the people to prioritize things. They, they have what I like to see a regular cadence of developmental conversations with them. And I and I like to see that. You know, I have been called in interesting to do some quote unquote team development. And what you find out after the second session that it's not so much the team, it's really the leader. And that's one of the toughest things to deal with. You know, how do you approach the leader who brought you in and say, you know, you're the problem in this situation? And so 
to answer your question, yeah, I do see those a range of leadership. And in my experience, it was a bad leadership experience. Really, if you think about it, it was a bit bit of a dichotomy because it was some great learnings and some things were, frankly, it was challenging. Like you said, it, it helps to be able to find those positive moments from those terrible moments and find a way to use those and, and to coach others uh, as you do now to not be like that. I know you do some work with uh, junior achievement. What, what do you do? For people who don't know junior achievement, why don't Start. Why don't, why don't you tell us a little bit about Junior that? Achievement is an international organization that their focus is to do economic and financial education for children, kids. Okay. And it starts from kindergarten through high school, at high school age. And the programs are really designed, I've done first grade up till middle school, to, pre, to create this awareness of an economy, you know, fundamental things like wants versus needs. Um, sixth grade group, first time I ever did it was impressive. They were learning about currency exchange and, and inflation rates in the global economy and, and, and currency exchange. It was just really interesting. And when you get in high school, it's more, you know, what do I need to do to, to get a job? And also um, the whole fun- function is really uh, talking about how to be an entrepreneur. I did a fourth grade class a couple months ago and they get to figure out what are the dynamics that I need to put together? What are the things I need to put together to run, run a business? And they can choose if it's a hot dog stand or a restaurant or you know bike shop. And I'm amazed at how much love the, the kids know even in fourth grade. I'll say, okay, name some entrepreneurs. And they'll say, Bill Gates, you know, Steve Jobs. And you know, first of all, when I was in fourth grade, I didn't know what an entrepreneur was and let alone an example of them. So right. it's pretty impressive. But I'm really passionate about this as well because it, it creates some some targets for, for a lot of the kids. Um, it creates some awareness that maybe they didn't know about. And the other thing is that also the way the curriculum's designed, it really helps with a lot of what the schools are doing to create an understanding of the different types of resources. And I've been affiliated as a volunteer. Once upon a time, I was chair of the board several years. I was on the board for about 10 years. And now I'm just a, a volunteer in the classroom, which is, is always fun. When they're working as a team like that, what kinds of organizational issues you see that mirror or <laughs> do not mirror the things you see with the grownups you work with? Oh, I, I, you're right on with that question, because as I'm watching the students, they're just, I mean, I see the same sort of dynamics facilitating a a leadership development class. You see the the introverts, you see the people that like to bring the group together. You see the people that like to volunteer. You see people that don't want to volunteer. And even though they're, what's a fourth grader, 10, nine, 10 years old, you see a lot of those same things at that age as you would with a 30, 35 year old person in a class. And, you know, they're, they're learning a lot of the dynamics, but you also see a lot of the same behavioral traits, I guess, at that age. One of my favorite things to watch is those junior cooking shows. So the cooking shows <laughs> yes. where they have the, the kids who are doing it because they are 100% supportive of each other, whether it's a good thing or a bad thing. If they're pitted against each other, it's all hugs and, and clapping for each other. And it's, it's incredible to see. And I'm glad you brought that up because at that age, like, up to about fourth or fifth grade, you'll see the hugs and support and, and all that. Then when you get into middle school, you'll see a slight difference as they quote unquote mature. But to your point, when they're that young, they're very supportive of each other. If somebody drops something, they're quick to get it. Or even, you know, as I finish the class, you know, the kids will run up and give you a hug. And again, it's just a, it's a, you know, it's, it's, it's a fun dynamic. But I think again, as they grow up, it may change a bit. One thing we always like to do is ask uh, every guest for an insight to go. So this is kind of a last takeaway of a recommendation. Anything that you want to recommend that we should know about or think about? There's there's two two things I want to bring up. One from a professional side. One of the things I always like to talk to my clients about 
is what happens in the organization ultimately impacts, I think, all soft skills. What do we want to do with soft skills? But ultimately impacts your customer, whoever your customer may be. And I, there's a Richard Branson quote that I really like. Train people well enough so they can leave. Treat them well enough so they don't want to. If you look after your staff, they'll look after your customers. And it could be a small mom and pop organization or a global corporation like Ford or Whirlpool or whoever. That still holds true. But on the personal side, I think it's important as individuals, we take time to reflect and just put things in perspective. And you know, two of my favorite books are one by Ann Lindbergh. It's called Gifts from the Sea. And it's just a really reflective book that kind of sits back and helps you to put things in perspective. Because I think as individuals, if we can do that, not only we're better and happier in our personal lives, but that spills over onto our professional lives. And a current book that I've actually been passing out to a lot of my friends is a book by Maria Shriver. It's called I've Been Thinking. And it's a bit of a journal type book where there's a you know chapter day and it just it's really a good way to ground yourself as you you know face your day professionally as, and as well as what's going on in today's world. Skillblenders.com. Where else can people find you? Well, I'm on LinkedIn. Um, I'm on uh, Facebook. I have a Skillblenders.com Facebook page, and those are those are the places on social media. Well, Deb Terry, Skill Blenders, thank you so much for, for being on the show. I Several things that we talked about, I know I want to follow up and talk to you about more, so I hope we'll get a chance to talk on the podcast again. Great. Thank you, Randy. For Howard Fox, I'm Randy Ford. This has been the Success Insight Podcast. Success Insight is a production of Fox Coaching and First Story Strategies.